Tonight, if you turn your attention to Romans 8, just a couple of verses for us. And all, both of those last two songs, to think for a moment, think about it. You're God's kids in every way, shape, and form. Amen? Purchased by the blood of the Lamb, bought back from sin and death. In essence, death was killed. Jesus defeated death when he died, that death on the cross, and was raised three days later. You now have eternal life. Your Father is your Father in heaven. And no matter what's happened in your life while you've been here with your earthly Father, and so many of us uh, have had tragedy in, in that relationship with our earthly fathers. And fortunately, some at least are examples of what a good father really looks like, even here on this earth. But in an infinitely greater way, you have a heavenly father. And your heavenly father loves you beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. And so tonight, one of the richest, most beautiful passages of Scripture found in the Bible with regard to how God loves us and how the Spirit wants us to know that. And, and probably some of you can think on those times in your life where, you know, perhaps your, your father said something to you and you knew at that moment your dad loved you. Maybe some of you have never had that experience, but you have that experience tonight with your Heavenly Father. And so tonight, this incredible, just a couple of verses, so rich, so deep, so filled with meaning, this picture that we are adopted by God, and we'll dig into the, to the depths of this one, plumb the depths, as it were, uh, of what the Lord intends when he says the spirit of adoption. And so would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that as we approach the cross tomorrow being Good Friday, that we do so as your children. Lord, most of us, a vast majority of us here tonight, have received you, Jesus, as our personal Lord and our Savior. And because of that, you have adopted us into your family. You've brought us in where we could not go before we met you. We were sealed out by our sin. But because we are your children, we have free access into our Father's house. And you love us with an undying love. So bless us with your presence as we study your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14 here in Romans 8. And God's kids... For as many as are led by the Spirit, remember that this particular set of verses all the way from uh, where we began last time in verse 5 down through most of this chapter, the emphasis is on the work of the Spirit. The Spirit giving us guidance, giving us correction, giving us illumination, giving us sanctification, making us mature, uh, maturation, bringing these things to light that, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus and the result of it is this wonderful new life that we now have because we've been brought into God's family. We have the family portion of it here in these three verses. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And remember the term sons there is is not attempting to speak only to, to men or to males. It's talking about the children of God, and it's used in a, in a way to speak of mankind who is redeemed. So we're the children of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're his kids. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Amen? You, you see, the new life that we now live in Christ Jesus is not like the old life. The old life was filled with fears and phobias, foibles, problems, difficulties, dynamics over which we had uh, virtually no chance of success. But this new life that we now live, because we are God's kids, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is very different than just being well-equipped to live life here on earth by your own efforts and energy. You have a new power source. You have a new guidance system. You literally have a new DNA. All these things that we've seen here in the book of Romans. Your life is now completely different than it was before you met Jesus. And now it comes into view in a very familial way. You you see, before you met the Lord Jesus... You had every reason in the universe to fear God. As in a phobic fear of God. Not a reverential fear necessarily, because reverence comes with understanding who he is. But before you met him, you had every reason to fear him because you were facing judgment by him. And as we saw in the beginning of chapter 1, because we're his kids, there is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what was a relationship that was of fear, whether you recognized it or not, the the sword of Damocles was hanging over your head, and it was by a single horsehair, and, and you were at any moment, should you have exited the planet without Jesus, you had every reason to fear standing before a holy God, because he would have said, depart, for I have never known you. That's the way things used to be. That's what your fate was before you met Jesus. That's what mine was before I met Jesus. And so my life was filled with fear. And let me prove this to you. People without Christ fear death. People without Christ fear losing their home. People without Christ fear losing their job. Now, we are concerned as believers about those things because they have new dynamics that will be brought to us because of those events, but we no longer fear death because death no longer has the sting anymore for us. Death was defeated. And so death is just our bodies going to sleep in the dust of this earth, but our soul and spirit goes directly into the presence of the Lord. So what was once fear is now anticipation. It's like when I take my last breath, things aren't going to get worse. They're going to get infinitely better. So that spirit of fear that I used to have of everything being on my shoulders 
You know, making sure you have a great career and a great living and enough money and enough of this and enough of that. And then at the end of all of that, you make it into that career for 20 years. And all of a sudden, you get your pink slip on year 19, 11 months, and 14 days. Without Jesus, that's a, I'm going to find a bridge that has my name on it day. You have fear. Now again, as a believer, it doesn't mean these things don't touch us while we're here on earth, but the same type of fear no longer exists because I don't live for my job. I don't live for money. I don't live for possessions. Those things are wonderful if we have them. I don't even live for health. I'm not suggesting you should all go eat more bacon, but (laughs) if, if if you should die today... It's not exactly the worst thing in the world anymore. Amen? Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the fear that used to drive your life, now as a child of God, actually should not exist. You should merely have some concerns about daily living. You know, you still want to stay in your lane on the freeway. You want to complete the race that's been set before you. You want to finish well. Amen? But you don't have that same phobia of, what happens if I die? Because the answer is, you go to heaven. So we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. I was in bondage to fear. It's like, oh no, what if, what if? Our lives before Jesus are governed by what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? No longer that spirit of fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. You see, before, your existence rested squarely on your shoulders. Your life, in that sense, where it went and what you did and will become, accomplished in life, possessed in life, rested on you. It no longer rests on you. You've been given the spirit of the adoption of Christ. You've been brought into God's family. So now because the sheep and the cattle on every hill and the gold and the silver in every mine, the earth and the fullness of it, in fact, the moon, the stars, and the heavens above all belong to your dad. They belong to your father. And that's part of your inheritance as one of his kids. And so right now you're walking around in that adopted state and he's given you a little bit of your adopted inheritance. The work of the spirit in your life which has now freed you from bondage to sin has changed the way you view life and your priorities, has caused you to now walk in the Spirit so that you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, you have part of what is yours right now. You've been transitioned out of the old way and into a new life. Amen? Amen. And so what is in view now is the fullness of what it really means to be one of God's kids. Because you see... This isn't all of it. This is only a piece of it. 
And so he brings us to this place that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It is the very same word that Jesus cried out from the cross. Abba, Father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If there's any way, take this cup from me, he said in the garden. He's talking to his Abba, his daddy, the Father of heaven. There are exactly two boys on the face of this earth that get to call me Abba, Daddy. They're my two sons. No one in the entire world can call me Daddy except for them. Because they're mine. They are my sons, and I am their father. In exactly the same way, but infinitely greater in its dimension. You get to call your heavenly father, daddy. Dad. When my sons cry out in a crowd, I know my son's voices. When my sons are in a room, I know my son's needs. Out of all the people on the earth, my sons have everything that's mine. One day it will be theirs. If they had a need today and they came to me, providing they weren't being like the prodigal, Got to keep it in context. I'm not going to help them slop pigs. But they came to me with a need, and I have a way to meet it. I will. Now imagine that you have an infinite way to meet those needs. You see, you have to think of your Heavenly Father as Abba. Dad. What do I need to do? Where do I go? How do I handle this situation? Now does it make sense to you why Jesus said, your heavenly Father, again, same word, knows what you have need of before you do. You're God's kids. And he knows you. Everything about you both good and bad. He knows your faults and your weaknesses, and yet he still loves you in exactly the same way that my own sons have their quirks, the things that make them up. I I don't, well, you're my sons except when, and then you fill in the blank, you do this. Oh no, they're still my sons. I've sat in hospitals and held the hands of parents while their children passed. I have sat in prisons and in jails with moms and dads both 
extolling the wonders of their kids that have been arrested for murder. You see, parents don't stop being parents just because the kids mess up. That may seem shocking to us when we hear what the children have done, but that's what a good father does. That's what a good mother does. You may hate what the child has done, but you still love your child unconditionally. Without condition. You you may have to cast them out. You may need to let them go down a road that is the same road that the prodigal walked. But every moment they're on it, you're agonizing. When will they come home? You see, I want you to lay hold of your Abba Father tonight. If you've never understood the depths of God's love for you, that he loves you as a father loves his children because you are his child. This passage speaks that truth into your life. And it says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, my sons know that they're my sons. My sons know that Austin is out in Palm Desert serving at a church. Were he to call me and say, Dad, can, can you come out? It's two in the morning. Guess what Dad's doing? Dad's driving to Palm Desert. Something happens, I'm going to be there. Your heavenly Father infinitely loves you more than I could ever love my sons. As much as I love my sons, I would die for my sons. Without question, I would give my life for my children. Without hesitation. Infinitely more. Your heavenly Father has given the life of his only begotten son to prove that to you. And in that moment that you said yes, he placed the Holy Spirit within you to bear witness to that truth. Just like my sons have an internal understanding, Dad loves me. Dad's proud of me. Dad always wants to be around me. Dad wants to hear from me. That's why I get so furious when they don't return my texts. In a much greater and infinite way, God wants to hear from you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. If you want to ask me what people on this earth I want to go hiking in the Sierras with the most, it's my sons. Just tell you straight up. They're my boys. And in a much more infinite way, God wants to spend time with you. He wants to walk with you down the trails of life. He wants to talk with you while he's walking with you on the trails of life. He wants to hear what's bothering you. He wants to know what's on your heart and your mind. 
And so inside of you, internally, the Holy Spirit has been planted to bear witness to that fact so that you will never question ever again that God loves you. Now, do we live that out perfectly, even as a pastor? I can tell you, I have not. There have been moments of doubt. There have been times it's like, Lord, really? But you know what happens? The Holy Spirit corrects that. And I always come back to, that's my dad. And he loves me. He may even hate what I thought. He may, have hate, he may hate what I did because it's sin. Maybe there's something that, you know, I was, I was mulling over in my mind. It's just not from him. He, he can hate the sin without hating his child. Isn't that amazing? You want parenting 101? You just got it. And the example is your heavenly father. You see, as this scripture unfolds for us, there's three things here. We're led by the Spirit. God has given us access to him as Abba, Father, by the Spirit. We just know that we can dial him up. And we have that inner assurance and peace that reminds us that we're his kids. And so let's unpack this a little bit first. As God's kids were led by the Spirit. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now why is that important to us? Because there was a point in time when you were not led by the Spirit. You were led by the flesh. And you can remember what it looked like to be led by the flesh. You were governed by your flesh. Your thoughts were fleshly. You had very little, if any, concern for the things of God. You may have had concern for morality. You may have had concern for truth. You could have had concerns that ultimately line up with things that are part of the work of the Holy Spirit, but you were not internally guided by them. They were fears. You didn't want to get caught in that situation. You, you didn't want to be viewed in a negative light. But now what happens as a child of God is you're actually guided by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit going, no, that's not a road you should go down. That's not a behavior that you should undertake. That's not a relationship you should be in. That is not a habit you want to take up. This is the way that you should go. And oh, by the way, that bitterness needs to be love. And that anger needs to be gentleness. You see, you actually are led by the Holy Spirit. Your guidance system has actually changed. Whereas before, it was just kind of whatever you thought. You, you were an existentialist. I think and therefore I am. This is what I have become. I, that's, I'm going to do what seems right in my own eyes. And now all of a sudden, you have a decision to make, and you're actually concerned with what God thinks about that decision. You actually have a few things before you, and you, you're like, well, this one is a WWJD one, and this one is a 
Well, it'd be WW, what would Jeff do? So it's the same. <laughs> Got to put an extra letter in there. You, you see, you're led by the Spirit. And therefore, you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, just exactly as Paul wrote to the church of Galatia. He says, look, you're being led by the Spirit. Now, that leading is not uninterrupted at times. And I can tell you that because your Bible says so, there in Isaiah 59, it says that your sins have separated you from God so that he does not hear your prayer. When you're actively engaged in things that are contrary to God's leading, you can count on not hearing his voice, sometimes at all, if it's really deep sin, or very lightly, if you're going the wrong way and he's yelling, he's like, don't go that way, and you choose to go that way, you're going to spend some time in the desert. Amen? Not desert, desert. <laughs> it's not going to go good for you. But God won't abandon you. He will never leave you or forsake you totally. You're still going to be his kid, but you're going to be someplace where he doesn't want you to be, and he's going to let you suffer the consequences again, just like the prodigal. The father's saying, look, haven't I been good to you? Why would you want to go there? Well, because I want a party. <laughs> Heard there's these hot-looking chicks down there next to the pig farm. So I'm going to go that way. And the father's going, you're making a big mistake, son. Oh, dad, you just don't know what it's like to be me. Any of you ever thought that towards your heavenly father? And you go. You see, he doesn't disown you. He doesn't pull your adoption certificate and say, well, write him off. Write her off. You're still his kid. You see, the Lord gives you the spirit working inside of you so that the things that God says to you will come back to you. Know this, that the word of God will not return void, but it goes forth and accomplishes that for which it was sent. Raise your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord so that when they get old, they should not depart from it. Write the law on the tablets of your heart so that God will give you a heart that is soft, one of flesh and not a tablet of stone. Thy word, O God, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The admonitions of walking in the word of God. And so what happens is those things start to come back because you, you heard some truth. And sometimes people will, will say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm one of God's kids. And I'll, and I'll actually ask them, are you being convicted by the Holy Spirit? Are you being convinced by the Holy Spirit? Is God speaking truth into your life? Because if he is, then you're one of his kids. And I point them to this verse. All who are being led by the Holy Spirit are the children of God. So when you care about the things of God, however imperfectly that may be in your life, that is a sure sign that you're one of God's kids. One of the surest things that you can have in your life that brings you assurance that you're in God's family is that you actually care about what God thinks. 
Now, if you ever reach a place in your life where you do not care about what God thinks, that also is the reverse and a very dangerous place. Because you lose your assurance that you're actually one of God's kids. And then the devil comes in and it's like, see, I told you. God's children are secure. You may not always feel secure. But if you want to feel secure, let me give you a few tips. Study God's word. Find out what God has to say about the way you're supposed to live your life. Talk to God. Be in prayer. You know, because if you talk to the devil, he's going to tell you some other stuff. You know how you talk to the devil? By getting engaged in things that are worldly and carnal. And so your conversation goes the wrong direction. Fellowship with God's people, exactly what you're doing right now. Hang around other people who are also indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? Then you're like at a family gathering. You see, in a family gathering, you can kind of let your hair down, right? Because everybody knows who you are. All the pretension, the stuff that you do when you're in public. Maybe you're at your job. You know, people think certain things about you when you're there. All that goes out the window and you tell your dumb, corny jokes, right? You have those silly things that you do with your mashed potatoes. All that stuff comes out when you're around family. And your family can go, you know, Jeff, you kind of look like a hog with your mashed potatoes there. You know, maybe you should change the way, you know, you can do that with family. God wants to have a family relationship with you and with us. How about being obedient? Because you know every house has some house rules. When you travel, if, you, if you've been there, if you go to Hawaii, it, it is custom in Hawaii to remove your shoes. You leave them outside, you put them on the tile. That's part of the house rules. There are some things that we do as the children of God, right? There are rules to God's house. Thou shalt have one God. You won't make any graven images. There's, there's ten of the original rules, right? And there's some other things that God's added to that. You will not walk after the dictates of your flesh, but rather you'll walk after the Spirit. You see, when you're obedient to those things, and you actually begin to travel that direction automatically, guess what happens? Your assurance level goes up that you're one of God's kids. So you can help God help you by doing what he says. Because then you remove those places where the enemy goes, see, you're still drinking, you're not saved. See, you're still smoking dope, you're not saved. See, you're still in those three relationships, you're not saved. See, you do this, and God's word says that, so you're not saved. Do you see how the enemy uses that? He's like in your ear going, nye, 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 nye. The only way to fight that is stop doing what you were doing. Because when you stop, then you can go nye, 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 right at him. When he, you can do it back. You can say, just like Jesus did, get thee behind me to Peter, Satan. Thus says the Lord, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how Jesus fought back. But you see, he was obedient to his father in all points. 
tested as we are, and yet without sin. So the obedience gives you assurance. It's how we know God's kids or God's kids. You have godly sorrow. You have godly conviction. You have godly understanding. All of those things happen to us. You see, he's, he's stating a fact here. It's like, look, you are one of God's kids. And so when you experience conviction, that's God working in you. If you don't have conviction, you might want to wonder about that a little bit. If, if you can look at God's word and go, I know it says this, but I don't care. That's a really bad thing. Because now you're walking around with God telling me the truth and I'm being rebellious. Or do I even believe in him? So being led by the Spirit is a wonderful proof. Hungering for the, for the word of the Lord. And this happens in a couple of different ways. And I want to touch on them briefly. The, the first way is through illumination. Do you remember before you became a Christian reading the Bible or hearing a Bible verse? And do you remember what you thought about the Bible? Do you remember what you thought when someone read the Bible to you or you heard a Bible verse before you became a Christian? You're like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Because the carnal mind does not understand the things of God. The first step is illumination. The Holy Spirit at work in you actually makes the scriptures come alive. And all of a sudden you're going, hey, that makes sense. I never got that. Go up to your non-Christian friends and go, hey, are you walking in the spirit today? You know what they'll think? That's what they'll think. They aren't, they aren't going to know the spirit of the living God. They're going to think of spirit as in liquor. Go ask, how's your prayer life? Om, you know, they, for all they know, that's it. Yeah, I did some chakras and some... They won't know. It is the Spirit of God in you that illuminates truth. And so, when you're doing that, that's a sign you don't know Him. All of a sudden, the truth comes alive to you, and you go, wow. You know, I probably ought to think about changing the way I do that. Now you're praying to the God of heaven. Scriptures have been made alive to you. During the upper room discourses, Jesus is speaking to, his, to the apostles in John 14. He says, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance that which I said to you. That's illumination. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of period of time, you know those times when you're talking to somebody about the Lord and all of a sudden like 10 scriptures in a row come to your head. And you're not really good at remembering where, where the Bible verses are found, but you speak in Bible. In context, by the way. That's illumination. It's truth. 
you see, from being indwelt by the Holy Spirit as you're, as you're saved, all of a sudden there's a divine light that goes on in all those things in your life. There you go on. Truth, 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 lie. Truth, another lie. You ever noticed how that happens? That's the Holy Spirit illuminating things for you. On behalf of the Ephesian believers, Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus, there in Ephesians chapter 1, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. That's illumination. All of a sudden things just simply make sense that didn't make sense before. There are a lot of biblical doctrines that were like, "Ah, I'm not sure if I can explain that, but you know what? I believe it. You know what that is? Illumination. You may not be able to explain how God's free will that he's given to us and his sovereignty work together. You might not be able to explain that, but I know they're both true. Why? Spirit of God in me. I know God is absolutely sovereign, and at the same time, he still left me with choices to make in life. Because the Holy Spirit tells me so. I know I wake up every morning and I have choices. Do I drive, you know, do I go down Normandy? Do I go down PCH to the freeway? There's choices. I have to make choices. Because God loves me, he sends me the way with the least traffic. My life is being illuminated. Because he knows I'll get in a flash. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man does not accept the things of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised and the word appraised is exactly like we would use an appraiser to find the value of a house. In other words, you actually find the true value of those things which are spiritual because you have the spirit of God in you. That's what happens. And the second part of this is sanctification that's how you're confirmed as one of God's adopted kids and sanctification is a, is, is a difficult word if you want to look at it theologically but it's actually quite simple it simply means to become saintly to be saint-like which means you become like Jesus you ever wondered how all that stuff happens in your life where you used to hate on people all the time and now for some weird reason you actually love on them That's called sanctification. You know those old desires that you used to have that used to drive your life? You couldn't stay out of the bar. You couldn't stay away from the parties. You you were a thief. You were a liar. And you enjoyed doing it. Now all of a sudden you're like, man, I can't believe I did that. That's sanctification. Again, as imperfect as it may be, It's still the Holy Spirit at work in you, changing you into a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so behold, the old things are passing actively away, and all things are becoming new. That's being sanctified. That's a work of the Spirit. You know you're one of God's kids when those things are happening. No matter how slowly, and no matter how imperfectly, And the reason I keep using those words is so you'll get it drilled into your heads and your hearts. 
This is not about performance on your part. This is about assurance on his part. He's reminding you when you see those things as imperfectly as they've changed, as incomplete as they may be in their totality, he's saying, that's me at work in your life. You are one of my children. Do you understand that? It's so important to your walk with the Lord that you do not get hung up on being perfect. That is the goal. That is what you're shooting at. That's what I'm aiming at. That's what every Christian should be looking at, the cross of Christ and heaven, and say, I want to be just like Jesus. But here's what happens. The enemy says, because you're not there yet, you're not one of God's kids. That's why I'm telling you, the journey is lifelong. You will not be perfect until you get to heaven. And so those little trips along the way, as long as the Holy Spirit is still at work in you going, that was a dumb thing to do and you shouldn't do it, and you listen, that's God assuring you you're one of his kids. That you still have the Father's ear. And of course your response to those things, when you do stumble, when you do fall, when you do something dumb, when you do something outright wrong, is to confess your sin. Repent, turn around, go the opposite direction, and let him cleanse you from all unrighteousness and forgive you of those sins. So many Christians end up in more sin because they won't forget the sin. God's forgotten it. Why are you dragging it around? God's forgiven it. Why won't you forgive yourself? That's not to take sin lightly, by the way. It's to say, if he says he forgives you, what do you think he's done? He's forgiven you. Stop dredging it up. Because God's not dredging it up. The enemy's dredging it up to try and make you think that God's condemning you. Go back to verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all those times when you're tempted to think, God doesn't love me because I did this, and now I'm right back at it. That's not from God. He is telling you, go and sin no more. Again. But he's not telling you, I hate your guts, go away. Make sure you have those things right. Otherwise the enemy can beat you up. We are adopted. And God loves us. And this picture of adoption is mind-boggling to me. We see it throughout scripture. Moses was certainly the first. He was adopted there by Pharaoh uh, ultimately, and as a young boy, he's brought into the palace, and he was given, ultimately, charge over the palace. Amen? That was adoption. So we have to get a biblical view of adoption. We kind of think of it as a second-class citizen in our culture, but it's not true in the context of Scripture. Uh, Esther, adopted uh, by her older cousin Mordecai, also another beautiful picture of that. Loved her as a father and took her in. But the, the most beautiful picture of that in, in all of Scripture is this wonderful picture that happens in, in, in just an amazing way in Second Samuel in chapter 9. And you might remember the story because it is only God's kids that can call him Abba. But the picture of adoption in the Old Testament and the New is one where the child once adopted is literally a member of the family 
with no differentiation. And in fact, adopted children sometimes ended up with more of the inheritance than the real kids, the blood children. So in a biblical sense, make sure that you don't say, well, we're just kind of, God had pity on us and brought us in. You see, Esther was shown pity by Mordecai. Moses was shown pity by Pharaoh's wife. But there is a story that I think pictures that, and it's the story of Mephibosheth. And it's there in 2 Samuel chapter 9. For sake of time, we won't read the whole passage. But you have this beautiful picture of King David learning about, in essence, an adversary. Jonathan's son is born crippled. His name actually means shameful thing. And yet David brings this man from whom he can get nothing. And worse yet, he's the last living descendant of King Saul, David's sworn enemy. So he has every reason in the world to just kill this crippled kid and get that dynasty over. He can't do any work. He can bring nothing to the table. And in fact, Mephibosheth is going to be a burden on David. And so David adopts him. That's us. We bring nothing to the table with God. For in me dwells no good thing. My heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and who can know it? And God lets me into his family. And so when you think of adoption as his children, we're not second-class kids. God, just like David, graciously heaps upon us every single blessing that there could possibly be in the kingdom. David brings in this outcast. He dines at his own table as his own son. He granted him a magnificent inheritance. And the same is true for us. No difference whatsoever. That's why we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. God doesn't look at us and go, well, you know, I adopted you, but whew. You were a mess. You're still a mess. You're always going to be a mess. Just be thankful, son. No, God loves us. As hard as it is for you to wrap your mind around this, God looks at you just like he looks at Jesus. He wants to hear your voice just like he wants to hear his only begotten son's voice. He wants you crying out, Abba, Father. You see, according to Roman law, the rule over the son was absolute. Matter of fact, if a father was displeased with the son, he could legally put him to death so that he would not be shamed. Sound like any other person that you know? Let me tell you who it is. It's you. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. 
You, you see, we are not worthy to be brought in to the king's home. But he's not looking at our unworthiness. He says, I have made a vow. And I said, if you will believe in my son, I will receive you unto myself as one of my own. And once you do that, you are in. Amen? That's how adopted you are. You're not hanging out out there on the fringe someplace. We get to call him dad with all of the rights and privileges. During that time, the death of the father, the the favored adopted son would often end up with the major part of the estate. And because of its importance, it required seven witnesses for an adoption. Now think on this for a second. The work of the spirit is described as having seven facets. But the witness of the Spirit in you is bearing witness that we are, what does it say? The sons of God. So under Roman law, the witnesses were brought in and said, yep, that's one of God's sons. That's God's daughter. Once that is made, it is Roman law. It stands under the penalty of death. If anyone tries to break that, they can be killed for it. God takes you very seriously, takes me very seriously as his children, so much so that he said, I'm going to make sure everybody understands, so I'm going to give witness by my spirit that these are my kids. Jeff is my son, and I put my spirit in him to prove it. Finally, wrap up this third point. Just as those witnesses were part of the picture so we are indwelt in that sense by the spirit and God works in us then so that we won't question in our heart whether we're actually one of God's kids and so when you think on these things please don't let the enemy rip you off don't wander around questioning whether you're one of God's kids or not if you have said yes to Jesus Christ you're one of God's kids Now, it's up to you to start acting like it. You have to do that part. You see, because here's what could have happened under Roman law. You could be adopted into a very wealthy family, and you could still live like a pauper. You would actually still have an inheritance. But you'd be wandering around in beggar's rags. That is exactly what disobedient Christians do. You've been adopted. You're in. But because you will not live in the house, because you will not live under the house rules, because you will not do what Father says, you wander around, you look like, smell like, and act like a beggar. When you're actually very rich. And one day you're going to inherit the glories of heaven. You see... You need to start acting like the kids that you actually are. One of the things that's been kind of fun to watch, I don't know whether you know this or not, 
and again, this is not to be political, but just watching what's going on with the Trump family. You watch these kids. Can you imagine what it's like to grow up in the White House? I mean, everything's kind of downhill from there, you know? Even if you are a, a son of Donald Trump who's already fabulously wealthy. But can you imagine if little Baron Trump was running around the White House, you know, in shredded rags and, you know, he's scavenging through trash cans trying to find food? I mean, it would be completely unconscionable. Why? He's the son of the President of the United States who just happens to also be a billionaire. It wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. The kid has his own floor of a penthouse in Trump Tower. Not suggesting you should give your kids those. (laughs) Even if you have one. But my point is this. He should act like who he is. It doesn't mean he should be fake. But he's not poverty stricken. He lives in the White House. Or can. You live in God's house. So please do. You're one of God's kids. Act like it. You lift your head up. Because your father owns it all. Everything. And we're not just talking about the stuff here. Whatever's on Pluto, he owns that too. Scripture is so descriptive, it says, whatever you have need of, your Heavenly Father has supply of. When you call, He answers. He knows your voice. And He will never leave you or forsake you. So as you think of that, the result should be peace in your heart. You should be walking around, my dad's got this. My dad's got this. Be secure in that. Because you're led by the Spirit, because you now have access to Him, because you have that inner assurance, because you're living the right way, you're, you're acting as though you really are one of God's kids. The result of that being peace. What a blessing it is to be one of the king's kids. Live it. What you've been destined to do. So maybe you've never had a great father figure in your life. Do you know Jesus? you got one now. And he loves you infinitely. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together. I'm going to ask some of the pastors to come forward. Maybe you're, maybe you're just struggling. Maybe, maybe I touched a nerve and, and I want to say that I'm sorry. That surely was not my intent to, to make anyone dredge up memories of poor things in their, in their life about maybe the way you have a relationship with your earthly father. 
But I would simply ask that as the pastors come forward, maybe you need to pray with somebody to let that go and really focus on your Heavenly Father because He will not let you down. Guaranteed, He won't. Maybe you need to pray with somebody to receive Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, but you want to because you want what we just talked about. It's yours. It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. I can make that gift known to you and you can walk out of here without it. But I would encourage you not to. Because that adoption paper is waiting. It was already signed by the Lord Jesus at the cross. Has your name on it. And he wants to adopt you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as the pastors come forward, maybe you need to receive Christ tonight. I'd love to pray with you. Meantime, we're going to pray, and then we'll worship our way out. And if you want prayer, just simply come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that You've been the father to the fatherless. You've been a father to me. Lord, all of my life you've watched over me. You've had your hand upon my life from a very early age. I got to thank you for that. And I pray tonight for all of us that, Lord, we wouldn't ever doubt that you love us. That you'd touch each one of us with a special dose of your spirit tonight to remind us of how much we mean to you. Lord, when we cry out to you, thank you for hearing us. When we get dirty, thank you for cleaning us up. When we're wayward, thanks for looking for us. God, we're disobedient. Thank you for being patient and tender-hearted and kind. Father, we love you. We love you, Dad. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.